and welcome to episode 117 of Real Life Ghost Stories. How you do? To kick things off this week, we need to thank our newest Patreon subscribers. We would like to thank Paul Smith. Christine Lily Kessler. Declan Tash. Layla Jane Dale. The Real Eric Evans. Joe Swell. Jean. Emily Carroll. Claire McMillan. Vicky Hoskin. Jeanette Scales. Jennifer Costa. Christy Emerson. Amy Clausen. Gemma Ramsey. Sharon Starnes. Jack Falcon. The Pink Witch. Sophie Trick. And Adam F. Layla, if your name is actually Leela, I'm really sorry. Or Lila. Or Lila. Yeah. I don't know. But we went for we went for Layla. So I'm sorry if it isn't. And also Amy, I think you're I think Amy is Amy Clausen. I think. Yeah, I But I, I re- could be wrong. I realised when I finished saying that that I completely put my own pronunciation on that word and that's not how I would have read it normally so I apologise and we would like to say some gorgeous happy birthdays we would like to say happy birthday to Missy happy birthday Missy and happy birthday to Joe Fletcher from Shan but most importantly from us happy birthday Joe (laughs) Fletcher and our film review this week our film review is Communion Communion was released in 1989. It has 5.6 out of 10 on IMDb and a whopping 20% on Rotten Tomatoes. Would you like a synopsis? Go for it. A novelist's wife and son see him changed by an apparent encounter with aliens in the mountains. A terrible synopsis, I have to say. I, I was waiting for the extra sentence. Or no. Sorry, get, no. Okay. no, there was no extra sentence. Okay, so I'm going to give a, an even better synopsis. There's a novelist. It, this is based on a true story, by the way. A novelist named Whitley. He goes to the mountains with his friends. They all seem to share the same dream. The dream isn't a dream. It's about aliens. He gets abducted regularly. That's the story. What were your thoughts on this film? I don't know where to start with this. To be honest with you. I'm already laughing before we've even started. (laughs) It's chaotic, I guess, for want of a better word. I'm still not entirely sure what happened. I think I'm going to be overly positive in... Well, not overly positive, but I'm going to be positive about some aspects of this in that I thought it was quite interesting to see... You know, they had the a period of time where they didn't believe him, but then he kind of was thrown into a... A group of people that believed him and he went to a support an alien abduction support group which i don't really remember seeing before and i thought that was quite a touch yeah it was interesting to see to see that transition for him to thinking he had psychosis to oh wait hang on this might be real and how that challenges your worldview that was interesting i'll give it that and i thought they used hypnosis interestingly <laughs> i don't want to say well because i don't really know how it's supposed to be used but it was a good plot device other than that, I'm not entirely sure how it got made. <laughs> so Whitley Stryber, or Streber, is a real person. And he wrote a novel called Communion based on his experiences with alien abduction. I'm not, I didn't look into him as a person. I know that for some people, they like really respect his opinion on alien abductions. I don't know anything about him. This is just based on our observation of the film. So I haven't read the book. Apparently the book is better. But this film was insane. I can't I cannot believe it got made, first of all. And it is insane. It's insane. I without having read the book and having no knowledge of it, I would say this is a hundred percent down to script. You can just tell it's just not a very well written written film. 
No, it's um, a terribly written film and you forget how Christopher Walken is sometimes not made for the roles that he is cast in and this is one of those times and I love Christopher Walken I think he's just a fascinating person to watch on screen but dear god he's awful in this he's really not good at this he's really awful it it made me and Emma have a conversation after it as to what films was he good in just so we could reassure ourselves that our previous opinion of Christopher Walken wasn't wrong (laughs) yeah there's there's it's amazing hearing his voice sometimes in this film because he has that really distinctive way of speaking. There's a moment where he says to his wife, I think I'm having a midlife crisis. And there's this enormous pause. And he speaks <laughs> like that the whole way through the film. And it's really disconcerting. The thing with it is that it's not like in normal talk, sometimes we forget words. I forget words a lot. So often that a pause comes in a sentence when it's not supposed to, when you're trying to reach for words. But with him, the way he delivers it, it... It just sounds like it's a pause in the wrong place. It's just his inflection, yeah. but it sounds really jarring. Yeah. And it's he he doesn't portray fear very well as as an actor. I don't really know what to say about me. He's just a really bizarre character in this. It's a very strange movie. And I think we need to talk about the CGI in the film as well, because it's so so awful. So you see as much as we've just ragged on Christopher Walken's performance, I actually feel like it's the third worst thing apart of this film. The number one is undoubtedly the CGI. I feel like if you know you've got a limitation on your budget and you're working in an era where like special effects and practical effects are not overly convincing, limit what you show us. Yeah, keep them in shadows, man. Keep them in shadows. Because what we ended up with was these aliens that look like a cross between the um, frog nuns in Star Wars and the little kind of pig guards at Jabba the Hutt's lair, in, also in Star Wars, who have these really expressive eyebrows, but not much more expression in the rest of their face. And we also get a really, quite a dramatic implication of anal probing which was not necessary (laughs) really i'm laughing because i was quite traumatized by and i really didn't want to watch it but it wasn't necessary i obviously blocked that part out of my mind because i don't actually remember (laughs) well i remember it (laughs) i okay so this is my problem i think that the the bad special effects made the film worse than it already was However, I appreciate the little nun aliens because it's an interpretation of aliens that I've not really seen outside of sci-fi. So yes. not like actual sci-fi, so not like alien encounter sci-fi, but sci-fi where it's set on in a galaxy far, far away, for example. Outside of that, you don't often see this portrayal of aliens and they were kind of cool. <laughs> like, I quite liked them. At least there was something different. <laughs> yeah. And it was interesting <laughs> for that reason. And I know this is based off his personal story, so obviously he, I'd imagine in the book, he yeah, gives um, a very particular description of what those aliens looked like. But dear God, when I first saw them, I was like, wow, this is not what I expected. And I'm not questioning this guy's experience because I haven't read the book. I'm just looking at this purely with my 50p movie goggles on as a movie. And it's it's terrible. It's, yeah. And the, the, the word, you know, talking about, to give you an example of the bad special effects, the interior of the spaceship is built from breeze blocks, very obviously. <laughs> And it's like they have made no attempt to disguise the fact that it's made of breeze blocks. And it's just things like that where you're just like, I don't know. And the second worst thing is undoubtedly that kid who I feel like this film would have been ever so slightly better if the kid was cute 
or endearing in any way, but the kid was so annoying. Yeah, he was very annoying. He's just a bratty... Exa- oh. And then to think we went to, like, Billy Elliot the musical after that, and that kid was so <laughs> endearing. <laughs> yeah, it was a hard act to follow, really, wasn't it? Oh. If you're going to be watching Billy Elliot, you kind of go, oh, <laughs> you kid weren't a very good actor. And there is, there is, there's a moment at the end... It was about 15 minutes at the end where I thought it completely fell apart. Like, I didn't understand what was going on. Yeah, it he was, was in the, the spaceship. Christopher Walker's in the spaceship <laughs> dancing with all these little aliens. But that was the single most That was the single most interesting thing about this movie. It may have made the whole plot and everything fall apart, but it was the only time where I was just like, okay, well, I didn't expect this. I don't know where this is going. Let me just sit and watch. Let's just sit and watch Christopher Walken talking to another version of himself while dancing around with little frog nuns from Star Wars. Let's let's watch that because that's what we do with our time nowadays. And I know that for a lot of people, this film is really nostalgic and it might have really frightened you in the 80s or whatever. Please don't come for me for taking the piss out of this film because I can tell you it has not aged well. Yes, and I, <laughs> I feel and I didn't even pay for the rental, but I feel like you were ripped off. <laughs> I want my money back, Amazon, <laughs> because I did not need to pay £2.49 to watch this film. I would be interested to hear from those of you that love this as a child or it scared you as a child and you rewatch it and how you feel about it after. Because I do feel like in an age where your exposure is limited to things, it may well have been scary. It's just we're sitting in a modern context and it just, it, like Emma said, it just doesn't hold up. I think it could have been like this. The con the concept of it is really good because you have this struggling writer. He's desperate to write a new novel, and his mental health is suffering because of that. He's really down, and then he starts to have these what he thinks are hallucinations. And it's a really interesting story and a really interesting thing to play around with. Like the film Horse Girl on Netflix did that really well. That that line between mental health issues and experiences of alien abduction, and it was a really interesting film to watch. This just got bonkers, just got completely bonkers. And maybe if you read the book, it's more convincing. But I don't, I don't need to see Christopher walking, dancing with aliens. I am going to, that's the only thing I'm going to argue with. I feel like this film, although it, in terms of plot and everything else, decency, it ruined it. It was by far the best part of the film. And I need to see Christopher walking, dancing with aliens on a daily basis. Maybe everyone needs to see Christopher Walken dance with aliens. Maybe that. Maybe I need to contradict myself yet again and say that everyone needs to have Christopher Walken dancing with aliens as their as their screensaver. Maybe. Yeah, I, I, it's um, it's it's like a vine. You should just go back to it on repeat. I think. So, what do you give this film out of five? I'm going to give it a nice solid one for Christopher Walken dancing and 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 that approach where he gets a support group. Because I felt like that was something slightly different. Yeah, that was, and it, it was interesting. Wasn't necessarily done particularly well, but no, it also it wasn't. Was, it was a different. It was something different. So combined together, that makes a solid one, I think. As somebody who hates aliens and alien films and finds them really scary, I'm also going to have to give this film a one. I was so it was just so bizarre that I couldn't even be scared by it or freaked out by it because I just was thinking, "What in the fuck is happening? What is happening?" It was the strangest thing I've seen in a very long time. Which brings us to our story this week. Which can only be about poltergeists. (laughs) Absolutely not. Our story this week is a very famous incident called the Kelly Hopkinsville incident. Have you heard of it? My alien abduction knowledge is actually really poor. Because I feel like I just, you know, 
they all kind of blend into one. Well, they do get a bit samey, don't they? And but I think for me that's compelling evidence. <laughs> this is not an abduction story. Okay. But it is an alien story. And now some people will complain about the fact that we're doing an alien story. But we try and do them every so often to try and keep everybody happy. I hate alien stories, but we're here. Okay, we're doing this. We're all doing this together. Let's hold hands and get through it. I like alien stories. I know you do. And you are going to love this story. I first heard it on the Krusty Crackpot podcast. And when I heard it, I thought... This is a Dan story, if ever I've heard one. Yes, picnics. You are going to love it. It's a bit of an adventure. Are you ready? I am I am more than ready. Kelly is a small town just outside of Hopkinsville, Kentucky. It has a population of around 300. And in 2010, the townspeople gathered to brainstorm for a way to make some money. Tourism is key for any small community, but there wasn't really anything remarkable about their town. Or so they thought. They decided to collectively scour records, archives and old newspapers to try and find something that could put the town of Kelly on the map. Maybe they had a famous resident at some point in history. Or maybe there was a particular food or drink that could draw people in. Or maybe there was an event that would drum up interest in their small community. And they found it. I doubt it was the story they expected to find. But it was evidence that a local tale had actually happened. This is the strange little story of the Kelly Hopkinsville incident, also known as the Kentucky Goblins. It was August 21st, 1955, and the Sutton family had visitors on their farm. In all, there were 11 people present on the farm that evening. And although there's no need to remember all of their names, I will name them now so you don't suddenly wonder who a character is later in the story. Glennie Lankford was the widowed matriarch of the family, and she had five children. Lucky and J.C. Sutton and their wives Vera and Elaine were also present that night. Elaine's brother O.P. was there with a couple, Billy Ray and June Taylor. The Taylors and Lucky and Vera Sutton were carnival workers, and so were visiting family and friends on the farm as they were passing through. The family had spent the evening chatting and catching up, drinking endless cups of coffee and regaling each other with local news and tales of their travels. At around 8pm, Billy Ray made his way to the well to fetch more water, when he saw a bright light streak across the sky and disappear just beyond the tree line a small stretch away from the farmhouse. There were two things that struck Billy Ray as particularly odd. One was that the light was rainbow-coloured. It wasn't a single streak of white light, like one would see with a shooting star or even a meteor shower. And the other was that it emitted a hissing sound as it streaked over his head. It passed over the house and then seemed to stop dead in the air and drop to the ground just beyond the tree line. Billy Ray wasn't stupid. He had heard and read the stories of flying saucers that were rampant across the US at this time and he ran full pelt back to the house to tell the others what he had seen. He frantically relayed his tale and was met with uproarious laughter from the gathering inside, telling him to lay off the coffee for the evening that it was making him skittish. Billy Ray settled back into the conversation in the farmhouse and nobody thought to check what he had claimed to have seen. But he was still perturbed by what he was sure he had just seen. 
The jovial conversation was broken by a noise from outside. One of the family dogs was frantically barking and growling and clearly straining to get at something. Billy Ray and Lucky went to the door of the farmhouse and looked outside. There in the distance, the forest seemed to be glowing, a luminescent green. And the men were confused. But their confusion turned to fear when they watched as a creature seemed to be emerging from the glow. The dog began to whine and ran under the house with its tail between its legs. The creature that emerged from the woods was about three feet tall. It had an oversized head that was perfectly round. Its arms extended to the ground and its hands ended in huge claw-like talons. Its eyes were oversized and glowed with a yellowish-orange light. The body of the creature glowed silver as though it was covered in a silvery, shimmering metal. The men stared at this strange little creature as it advanced towards the door of the farmhouse. It had its hands raised, almost as though surrendering, but the men, unwilling to take the risk, grabbed their shotguns and opened fire. The first bullets whizzed past the creature, but it kept coming. Finally, a bullet seemed to hit the target, and Billy Ray and Lucky flinched as the creature went down with a metallic, tinny sound. Almost as soon as it hit the ground, the creature flipped back up and retreated into the darkness. Billy and Lucky, breathless at the shock of what had just played out in front of them, shotguns still in hand, they entered the living room and struggled with the words to explain what they had just seen. A creature they had never seen before emerged from the glowing woods and advanced towards them. Though they knew they had shot it, on impact a metallic twang had rang out and the creature jumped up and disappeared into the darkness. As Billy tried to tell the gathered remains of the family what happened, Lucky was watching the window intently. He thought he had seen something flit past the window but he wasn't sure if the adrenaline was making him overreact. As Billy continued to tell their odd tale, he noticed that Lucky was slowly raising his gun towards the window because there, cutting through the growing darkness outside, was the face of a creature peering in. In the confusion that followed, both Lucky and Billy shot through the window at the creature. Glenny Lankford told the children to hide under their beds and not to come out until they were told to, and Julie Taylor sat with her head in her hands, afraid to see what was happening. Billy or Lucky hit the creature yet again, and yet again it seemed to flip back onto its feet, and this time hovered away into the growing darkness. A silence descended onto the farmhouse, until eventually Billy announced that he was going outside to check whether he had injured the creature. The adults gathered in front of the door, and it was Billy who eventually threw it open, took a deep breath, and stepped out onto the porch. He turned back towards Lucky, and just as he did so, a clawed hand reached down slowly over the porch roof and ran its talons through his hair. Aileen screamed and grabbed Billy, pulling him back into the house, and Lucky ran out of the house, pointed his gun at the roof of the porch and blasted a creature over the back of it. Another appeared in the limb of a tree and Lucky shot it. It scurried into the undergrowth. Another emerged from the side of the house and again Lucky shot at it. He couldn't keep up. The creature seemed to have the ability to move at extraordinary speed. They couldn't tell if there were several of them or if there were just two or three, 
that either had the ability to appear and disappear, or they were simply able to cross large distances in the blink of an eye. The creatures had now been shot at four separate times, and it was the last shot that was the decision-maker for Lucky. As a creature advanced on him from around the corner of the house, he shot it with a 12-gauge shotgun at close range, hitting it, he believed, square in the chest. The creature fell to the ground, and the metallic sound of bullets hitting metal pinged through the air again. And Lucky watched in horror as the creature simply got up and scurried away into the darkness. It was time to stop. These creatures were neither hurt by nor scared of their weapons, and they had no option but to wait it out until they could make an escape. As the family huddled into the farmhouse, not knowing what to do, they noticed something odd. The creatures seemed to be drawn to darkness. Any time they attacked, they emerged from the darkness and retreated back to the darkness. They seemed to have a luminescent glow in the darkness which turned into a dull metallic sheen when light was shone on them. They seemed to glow brighter, if they were shot at or shouted at, as though the sound affected their luminosity. They made no noise at all. No sound emitted from them and they didn't seem to have a mouth. The family could hear the tapping of their claws as they scuttled over and back across the tin roof. In hindsight, it should be important to note that the creatures showed no sign of violence or aggression in retaliation. They never hurt the family, nor made any violent attempts to get into the house. If you were to ascribe human characteristics to their behaviour, probably the best word would be curiosity. At around 11pm, the siege ceased, and the Sutton family took their opportunity and fled to the local police station to seek help. The chief of police was bemused to see this ragtag group of people pile into the police station. The Suttons were not the type to seek out police intervention unless they were in dire straits. Like many people who lived in the surrounding small towns, they sorted issues among themselves and invaders were managed with the use of force. Chief Greenwell knew that something was wrong. These people were clearly frightened beyond all reason. An officer with medical training on the scene observed that Billy Ray was pale and hysterical and checked his pulse, remarking that his heart rate was 140 per minute. Something had scared these people out of their wits, so a full investigation was immediately launched. State troopers were called in from the surrounding area and a convoy of sirens screaming rolled back to Kelly. It might seem odd that there was such an immediate and powerful response, but something had happened a couple of hours before, which probably fed into Chief Greenwell's reaction. An officer was having a break in his car at a restaurant called Shady Oaks. Shady Oaks was about three miles outside of Kelly. He called the station to report that he had seen something strange, and it was probably nothing, but he thought it best to call it in anyway. He had heard this odd whining and hissing noise overhead, and looked up to see two objects shooting through the sky, descending in the direction of the Sutton farmhouse. He referred to them as meteors in later interviews, but initially when he reported the incident, he specifically stated that whatever the objects were, they weren't meteors. He said he had watched the Perseid meteor shower earlier that month, and these things were not only bigger, but also emitted a hissing, whining noise that he couldn't explain. 
As the investigation team descended on the Sutton farm, so too did a host of general public and newspapers. Immediately there was tension between news reporters and the family, as scathing remarks were bandied back and forth about the validity of the story. Interestingly, the family point-blank refused to go back into the house until it was searched from top to bottom by the state troopers. Obviously nothing was found. But Chief Greenwell reported that on a sweep of the property, he was investigating the areas where the supposed creatures had appeared. He noticed that a patch of grass was glowing with a soft luminescence in the exact spot that Billy claimed to have shot at a creature and hit it. This luminescence wasn't readily visible, however. Chief Greenwell only noticed it by chance, as it could only be seen when looking at the patch of grass from a certain angle. But that was it. Aside from the empty shells and the holes in the window and the screen door, there was no evidence of anything at all, except for the persistent testimony of the terrified family. Soon there was nothing left to do but pack up and leave. And the Sutton family were again alone in their farmhouse. It was 3.30am and Glenny Langford was trying desperately to get to sleep after the events of the evening. She was worn out and her whole world view had been shockingly challenged in the space of a few hours. She lay on her bed in the living room and watched in horror as a figure peeped its head around the window frame. She turned away in shock, determined that she was seeing things, determined that the events of the day were causing her mind to play tricks on her. She couldn't help herself and turned back to look. And there it was. Standing at the window watching her was the creature. Its yellow eyes glowed through the darkness and it pressed a clawed hand to the window pane. The quiet curiosity of the creatures continued until they were last seen at 5.15am on Monday the 22nd of August. The next morning the investigators returned and further searches were carried out. The tin roof of the house was dusty as there had been a drought and there was no disturbance in the dust to signify that anything had been on the roof at all and no trace of any creatures or spaceships anywhere in the woods or on the property. The investigators questioned the family again and again and made conscious attempts to trip them up but their story remained the same. Interestingly, the incident is mentioned in Project Blue Book and it was widely reported that the Air Force investigated the incident. Chief Greenwell himself has stated definitively that Air Force intelligence from Fort Campbell attended the scene multiple times, but the Air Force subsequently denied this, stating that they never investigated the case. The morning after the incident, a neighbour of the Sutton farm reported seeing two military-grade aircraft circling the field and the woods at the farm. Andrew B. Ledwith, had heard the story of the siege of the Sutton farm and decided that on his day off he would pop out to the farm and try and get some interviews for the radio station W Hop. During this time he had the idea that he would attempt to draw what the family had seen based on their descriptions. He sat with the women of the house who had seen the creatures and eventually through lots of conversation he came up with a drawing. When he had finished he showed it to Glenny, who took a deep breath tears filled her eyes and she confirmed that this was it and that she would not look at it any longer and left the house. 
Ledwith decided that he wouldn't show anyone the sketch, but instead left it on the table in the living room. Later, Billy Ray returned home, saw the picture and exclaimed, Well, that's it. That's what I saw. It looks exactly like it. Billy Ray had never met Andrew Ledwith and was not present when he had arrived on the farm earlier that day. In his notes, Ledwith observed that all of the people who had witnessed the events of the night before had relayed the story to him with alarming similarities and had relayed the story to him at completely different points in the day while they were alone. Ledwith, for one, was sure that they were telling the truth. But the family at this point were trying to defend their property from a new type of intruder, the media and the curious public. The Suttons battled constantly with unwanted sightseers to the farm and it became an hourly battle to keep them out. There is, however, a curious little report from this particular time period. According to Glenny, the farm was visited by three officials from Fort Campbell who presented the family with a model of a creature and asked them to confirm or deny whether this was the creature that they had seen. They confirmed it was the exact same creature and Glenny Lankford later said that the man who made it must have seen it and he must have known exactly what these creatures looked like. After the fateful events of that night, it emerged that multiple reports were made of lights in the sky over Kelly. Residents of a farm around half a mile away from the Sutton homestead called the station and reported seeing a rocket ship or a flying saucer landing in a field about half a mile away from the village of Kelly. The reporter had seen a flash come from the sky and a glowing missile swooped down into a field near the Sutton farm. Mrs Lola Fletcher reported seeing a glowing red missile streaking through the sky just before dawn. A state trooper had reported seeing a fireball in the sky and a UFO was allegedly tracked over Fort Campbell that night. Maybe these reports are just random chance. But investigators found that none of the neighbours were willing to talk about what happened after witnessing the hounding of the Sutton family. And there was another neighbour who reported something odd. He remarked that he noticed lights moving through the fields around the Sutton house. He idly thought that the pigs had escaped and the Sutton family were out trying to round them up. He saw the lights between 7.30 and 8pm. And that was the time that Billy Ray Taylor first reported seeing the UFO. There is a lot to that story, isn't there? It's quite detailed. I was initially a little bit sceptical when you gave me the time period because I know it's the whole era of everybody seeing ufos and it becoming into the popular psyche for the first time and i was just a bit like oh you know i'm gonna say things but it's probably gonna end up with me being i don't believe them but then when it developed these people just the the consistency is one thing that strikes me so they're always saying the same they're all on the same story no matter what time it is the anecdote about the the picture was interesting so interesting i'm kind of expecting you to tell me that that never happened (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no okay that's good <laughs> i don't have a and actually this was all a okay. hoax i don't have okay, a, a big turnaround like that for this one i do have theories and we'll come to those in a second but i'm not going to tell you that yeah. none of this is true okay so that's good so we're working on the basis that everything you've said is documented so that thing about the picture was really interesting about billy i don't know i'm using the name the guy coming back in and looking at it and saying Billy oh, Ray, that's yeah. exactly what i saw 
I was going to say Billy Ray, but then I was like, am I just thinking of Billy Ray Cyrus and just getting that name completely wrong? But no, his name was Billy Ray, so that's good. The models, the story of the model was interesting, those three people with the model. Yes, and there is a picture of the model in existence. So I read a really good book about this incident and it was called The Close Encounter at Kelly. And I'll leave the link in the description. You can access it for free via PDF. And all of the evidence, like picture evidence, everything is is categorized in this book. So you can have a look at it yourself and see and I'd highly recommend it. But the author of this book she researched this particular incident a year after it happened. So really soon after it happened. And she happened to come across a picture of this model. And Glennie was like, oh yeah, that was the Air Force guys brought that with them to see if that was what we had seen. Yeah, see, and that that raises so many questions because that's like, did they make it? So is it something they've released? Is it something that they've captured another one of their species and they've got a specimen of it? Is it something that has been made from other witnesses accounts it's very intriguing i think as soon as official people start getting involved in these you have questions don't you i know they have to realistically they have to, they have to look into everything for national security reasons i guess that's probably why so 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 often the air force or or another government body are introduced into this i think it's probably maybe one or two times out of 10 where it's the the X-Files-esque people that are actually getting involved, most of the time it's probably just a national security thing. So they have to send someone along to look into it for just to clear things off. So, you know, it's not like the Russians or something or whatever it is, whatever the threat is at that time. But that was the big fear at the time. And they did investigate reports of UFOs. And unfortunately, at the time, there was a whole host of hoax claims which were turned out to very definitely be hoax and people trying to make some money. So there, there's a real muddying of the waters in terms of what was considered alien, what was considered foreign and what was considered a hoax. And kind of everything gets a bit muddled up and mixed up. I'm also super intrigued by the idea that the bullets affected them, but it didn't kill them. And you got this like ricochet sound. You got the ricochet and you got the metallic sound. Are they, be- are they beings that are metallic by nature? Are they wearing armor? It's also struck me as you know the the report saying that they were their behavior of a they, the family felt that they were a behavior of a curious creature, so they were looking into things. Even the most curious of animals in our on our planet, when they become attacked or something is defending itself, that curiosity ends and a survival instinct kicks in and they run. Yet these guys were attacked and carried on. That's not curiosity to me. That's a little bit more like either they've got a purpose or retaliation. Shall we go through some theories? I think we need to because I've got so many questions. It might help me define where I'm thinking. So theory number one, and let's go for the most obvious one first. Okay. It's an all out hoax. Now in this story, Billy Ray Taylor loved the attention loved it he reveled in talking to the reporters he spoke to everybody and actually it became very clear over time that he was at least embellishing some parts of the story as time went on so billy ray definitely that is reported by everybody loved the attention the rest of the family however did not so there are some people who believe that billy ray taylor somehow managed to convince the entire family that this was real and he orchestrated this entire hoax. I can see where that theory comes from. My issue with that is that even the most dominant of family members 
you'll only keep that up while it's still comfortable for you if it's not true. And I feel like if if it wasn't true, all the others that weren't enjoying the attention would have just gone, look, this this stops now. Billy made it up. We were playing along. The evidence points to Billy Ray not being the prominent family member because when he came back in initially and said, I've just seen a flying saucer, everyone laughed at them. They were all like, yeah, whatever, Billy, shut up. Like, and nobody even went out mm. to check with him. They didn't, they, they only went out when the dogs alerted them to something. And Lucky, who is the um, other man who was mostly involved in the shooting, is a, was apparently this really scary, manly man who was very down to earth, cutthroat, didn't take shit from anybody. So the belief was, well, if anybody was going to orchestrate the hoax, it would be Lucky because he was the one with the strength within the family. So actually, I don't believe this one. I don't think it was a hoax. No, I don't think it is because uh, particularly now you've added that extra information because it was like I was saying, it it take, yeah, you can run with a hoax for as long as you want if your life is on the line. So maybe if we were talking about a murder investigation or something like that where the 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 outcome would be your family member, that the dominant family member being put in jail or, or being shot or executed or whatever, maybe the hoax would keep up even when it was uncomfortable but this is media attention. There wouldn't be any severe consequences other than maybe they'd lose a bit of credibility. But the fact that this story was lost in the archives for a long period of time anyway would suggest to me that actually it probably would have been a short-lived credibility thing anyway. Other than that, if it becomes, if they're, they're not enjoying the attention, and particularly if another family member is the more dominant one, you'd expect Lucky to just say, if he wasn't enjoying it, just shut it down. Nobody would argue with him. <laughs> and Glennie Langford, who was the matriarch of the family, she was much older than the rest of them. She was like 50. She had two grown-up sons from a previous marriage who lived in Hopkinsville. And when they heard what was happening, the, the older sons, they literally were interviewed and, and they said, we were just sure it was somebody was joking, like taking the piss out of us. We didn't think for a second anything had happened. And then when they realised Glennie was in the house, they were like, this is not a hoax. Our mother does not lie. She is straight-laced. She has no interest in anything like this. She just lives her life. There is no way that she would go go along with this if this was something that was made up. And later interviews with her said the same thing. She would only ever speak about what she saw because she said, I can't speak for other people. Yeah. And if they want to speak to you, they can speak to you. But I am telling you what I saw. And she physically saw these creatures and stood by it. And even if it was a hoax, I don't think it would be Billy Ray's hoax. I think that's the problem with it. Do you know what I mean? My sort of thinking about the hoax was actually more like it was a modern day hoax. And so the people from Hopkinsville were looking for something to give validation to whatever it was that their tourist thing was. And so they've fabricated or made a story bigger than it actually was in order to get the attention that they wanted for that for that time period. So the modern Hopkinsville. I did wonder if you were going to say that and no. This story definitely happened. Okay. It was reported in newspapers. It was reported on radio. Like, obviously, they don't have the radio broadcasts. It is 100% in the annals of time. Hopkinsville today just took advantage of that. So they have, and took advantage of it very well. They have, like, a Little Green Man festival. They have, uh, there was, like, a musical made about it. The Pokemon Sableye is based on these little Kentucky goblins. And they, you know, they use it to their advantage. But they're not... They didn't hoax anything. Okay. Okay. Well, that, that was sort of my thinking with the hoax when you started talking about a hoax. And theory number two, which is was has been widely speculated, moonshine. So, 
Many of the investigators involved in this case assumed that a lot of moonshine had been consumed on the farm that night. Oh, sorry. You mean alcohol? I was thinking yes. about the shine of the moon. I was like, how no. does that make you see aliens? <laughs> no, no. Moonshine is in the alcohol. Okay. So there was really famously a person did a talk about this case. And although they didn't want to say that the family were drunk, very heavily implied that the aliens came from a bottle. And that the family were all drinking moonshine that night. And moonshine, if it's badly made, can do a lot of things to your body and a lot of things to your brain. So, thoughts? There's probably an element of credence to this. I don't. I know very little about moonshine, but I'd imagine any sort of alcohol that's manufactured out of a safe environment can potentially lead to other side effects such as hallucinations. The issue I've got with this is it just seems so on point every time they talk about it. I, my drunken recollections, I could probably recall details maybe the following day. But if you ask me again something about it, it would change within a week because I would have forgotten details. And they just seem to be so consistent with it. If it was alcohol induced, I'd say the chances of them, not saying it's impossible, but the chances of them having a shared hallucination on alcohol is slimmer than most and then if you add into that the the odds of them being able to repeat significant details without missing a beat across a period of time and across a number of people to different people when they're not all present i think it makes it really slim this theory was perpetrated by quite a few people and i think it came down to just blatant classism So the family lived as a blended family on this big farm. They were lower income people. Um, Some of the people who were present were carnival workers who were seen as like lesser in society and also that they had uh, the ability to trick people or the the want and desire to trick people. But what people didn't realise is that Glennie Langford banned liquor from her farm. She didn't allow any alcohol on her farm. That was well documented by her and by others and in the police investigation because they did assume there has to be some some sort of moonshine going on here. There was no evidence of any alcohol on the farm or any alcohol having been consumed by any of them. So that's that one gone out the window. I hadn't even considered that aspect of why that story might be tainted. It just didn't work for me logically. I just feel like the, every, lots of things have to line up for that for that to be able to happen. In yes. the way that it did. And I just think the odds are so slim. The chances are just so unlikely, regardless of what you've said, which is obviously another aspect and probably more likely. It just it just doesn't it just doesn't add up for me. I just don't think it's I don't think it's something that could happen. Or or if it did, it would the chances are so slim it's unlikely. And I think it's very easy to go, Oh, those hicks living out in the country are definitely moonshine. But it wasn't. That wasn't the case. And it's very well documented that that wasn't the case. Which brings us to theory number three. Escaped monkeys. That is a genuine theory about this case. So around the same time, a circus came to town called King Circus. As they were convoying out of the town, it is alleged that the truck that was holding the monkeys was somehow compromised and some monkeys escaped. And that what the Sutton family saw that night were in fact escaped monkeys in the moonlight. I'm going to make assumptions about the family now. As they live in the country, they're probably fairly proficient hunters. 
you shoot a monkey with a shotgun, it dies. You get a carcass. Yeah. Also, how many adults were living in that house? Surely one of them would have known what a monkey looked like. And two of them, no, three of them worked in the carnival. Yeah. So they knew what they, they've seen monkeys before. They've seen monkeys. And I just think that is the most outrageous assumption that these people saw monkeys and didn't realise they were monkeys despite the fact that a number of them would have worked in close quarters with actual monkeys. Yeah, I just... I, it's like the owl theory to me. Like, it, I, like I see where it comes from, but it just doesn't make any sense to me. Like, I just don't see how... You know, like, owls, owls are often aliens, aren't they? That's, that's often what people think. I, I get it. Interestingly, theory number four <laughs> is the theory that is widely believed to be true, and that is that it was a pair of great horned owls now i will say the description that the family gave of the movements of these creatures was very owl-like so they talked about them gliding and hovering they talked about them having like spindly little legs but chunky bodies they said about how like the legs didn't um join like they didn't move with joints that they scuttled off into the darkness so they i can see where the owl theory comes into it but this is a widely believed theory that actually what the family saw were a pair of great horned owls who were aggressively defending their territory i have issues i always have issues with this explanation that it is some kind of animal because it just doesn't wash for me like i feel like any i feel and and again it's sweeping assumptions and, and i'm happy to be corrected if i'm doing this wrong because i'm not a gun user myself but i'd imagine any gun user worth his salt that is just defending his own homestead with a weapon that he is proficient in that works at close range. If you're shooting an animal, it's going down, regardless of whether it's a monkey, an owl or an alien. It didn't go down, or if it did go down, it got back up again. I don't know of any instances where monkeys have been shot in the chest with a shotgun and got and lived to tell the tale or without medical help. I also don't think, I think the same applies to owls. There's probably less evidence of owls <laughs> being shot with shotguns because I'd imagine that happens quite often and it's not really newsworthy, is it? Um, I just I just feel like this is people reaching and I feel like it's trying to contextualise something that we don't understand in some, in the world of something that we do. And there has to come a point where we look at what's in front of us and we say, there's something we can't explain here. This is unexplainable. And I think this is one of the things. I read an article by a man called Joe Nickel on Skeptical Inquirer and he categorically believes it was two great horned owls that were defending their territory. And they're known to be aggressive if they feel threatened and all that and all that jazz and, and are around the same size and general kind of biological makeup or not biological, but anatomical makeup of what was described by the family. So Did um Joe Nichols in his report of horned owls say how often they're caught wearing metallic armor just out of interest or... uh, uh, probably in the wild eight times out of ten oh, okay. that you see a great well, horned owl they un... will be wearing a nice tin jacket okay okay well in that case it's probably that's probably the answer <laughs> then isn't it <laughs> and our final one we'll come back and decide on which whether whether we believe these theories or not at the end our final one is that it was all for profit so very controversially when the incident happened and the family were inundated with people on their land, multiple times Lucky was witnessed going out 
aggressively trying to get rid of people off the land. They put up a big no trespassing sign on their land. People were ignoring it. Uh, So this happened from Sunday morning onwards. They had people on their land. On Tuesday morning, they put up a sign saying, you can only come on our land if you pay us 50p. And then they started with 50p and then they went up to like $10. So they started in English currency. Oh, what's the, what's the currency? Cents. 50 cents. And then they went up to like $10 and it didn't work. So eventually they took down the sign. And that to a lot of people signified, oh, they only did it for money. That was the only reason they did it. It's a lot of effort to go to for a quick buck. I also feel that having watched Mountain Men, um, <laughs> it seems to be quite hard to actively keep people off your land if you have a lot of land. Yes. I think... Unless you're going to set up a toll booth and fence it round, it's more of a, it's a next level no trespassing, isn't it? We understand why you're here, but if you're going to be here, you need to pay us. And some people that are maybe maybe curious rather than aggressively intrusive may look at that and go, oh, I don't want to spend $5 for this and turn around. So it might have that desired effect. I don't think that indicates they're trying to make a quick buck. There would be more to this if you told me that they got paid by several different newspapers to give their story. They didn't. I think that that sounds like a man that's a grumpy man that has got too cross with people being on his land that doesn't like the attention and is just wary of the fact that now the spotlight is on him. He probably can't shoot all those people. So (laughs) therefore has to do something else and that's his step at it. And I think it's an afterthought rather than pre-planned. I think he would have been, you would have seen if that was his intention, I think you would have seen a much more proactive way of trying to garner money. So he would have started charging from the offset and you would have seen an increase in that rather than a paint hand-painted sign that he then takes down when people don't pay him. There also seems to be, again, this assumption that they didn't have any money because they lived outside of town. They lived in like a three-bedroom house. There was a lot of them. Uh, the house didn't have running water and stuff. But they actually were in the process of buying the land that they lived on and had the money to be able to do that. So they weren't desperately trying to find money as far as we're aware. And I felt like the no trespassing sign and subsequently they, you know, pay us $10 to come on our land was an attempt to get people to stop because apparently they were calling the state troopers multiple times a day. And when the state troopers would come out, the, the place would be just mobbed with people. And they just couldn't get rid of the people off their land. And they were, I think the uh, Glennie in particular was quite frightened mm. of all the people being on her land, which you can understand. You know, she's she doesn't have loads of men in the house all of the time because they, they're carnival workers. So they move off. So it's, a, it's, it's an interesting story. And I don't know my, mm, so what is your, what is your thought? So, by the end of it? I'm, well, I'm, I'm stuck between aliens or um, scientific research gone wrong interesting so maybe they were monkeys but they were genetically modified fighting monkeys with armor <laughs> that escaped from a lab clearly or escaped yeah. from the circus yeah well no no not from the circus no don't be silly uh-huh. don't be silly emma yeah no from a lab i think I'm, I'm leaning on aliens for this one i don't know and i will post pictures of what these aliens these goblins allegedly looked like on both instagram and facebook so you can have a look yourself I think if I hadn't read the really detailed description of how these creatures moved, I would have laughed at the owl's suggestion. But I think there is the only theory that I think is worth thinking about 
is owls and mass hysteria. That's it. That's but other than that, I I don't think they did it for money. I don't think they were drunk on moonshine. I don't think it was a hoax. I do think Billy Ray Taylor loved the attention when he suddenly no, had all this attention. <laughs> um, I don't think it was escaped monkeys. I think the only explanation that has any great power is the owls and i, I can't know you're, believe you're going I with know the owls. you're very annoyed about it owls is such a cop-out it's such a cop-out explanation for something that doesn't like i just think even if you're not going to go down the alien route i think it's okay to say actually we can't explain this it's just unexplainable let's just accept it as unexplainable no, i can't do that i'm sorry the only thing about the owl theory is that these were country folk they would have seen an owl before and, and they damn sure would have been able to shoot it and kill it if and it they saw these creatures multiple times for extended periods so i'd imagine at some point one of the adults would have gone that's a fucking owl so that's the the thing about it that makes me go maybe it wasn't but the owl theory is the only one i can i'm saying hold my hands up to to. you and mr nichols going with owls for aliens is the laziest laziest of explanations well maybe the laziest of explanations is the explanation Maybe that's maybe that's what it is, okay? If you've got a theory about the Kentucky Goblins, please be sure to let us know what your theory is. If you enjoyed this week's episode, you can find everything you need to know about us on reallifeghoststoriespodcast.com. You can send your own spooky story to reallifeghoststoriespodcast at gmail.com. You can support us on Patreon if you feel so inclined. Patreon.com forward slash stories, where for $5 a month or $2 a month, you get access to heaps of extra content. And this week on Patreon, we're releasing a bonus episode where we talk to a psychotherapist about the psychology behind alien abductions and whether or not she thinks they're real. And I don't know if I'm ready to have that conversation, so I'm feeling very scared about it. And on that note, we shall see you next week. Bye.